Hi guys, Rob here, the podcast editor for EveryMind. Just to let you know that this interview was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you do take any tips or suggestions from this podcast, make sure you adhere to current regulations. Without the way, this podcast features Dr. Sean Davis, a man who has more letters after his name than the alphabet. Dr. Sean is a global director for safety, health and well-being at Royal Mail and pun fully intended, he certainly delivers on this podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, and entertaining, make sure you share with others and leave us a review on iTunes so we can keep bringing you great episodes such as this one. Enjoy the show. It's not a, a weakness or a failure, and it can feel difficult and isolating and 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 detached. But there's lots of organisations, people out there that will help you, and, and you know, don't give up hope and and don't you know don't um, not seek advice. So welcome to the Every Mind at Work podcast. I'm really honored we're joined by Dr. Sean, who um, is going to share his experience, but also his expertise in the field, of course, talking about mental health at work. So Sean, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Just come back from Dubai, we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just to start with, if we can, just tell us a little bit about um, what you do now and then kind of what led you to where you are today. Uh, okay, so I am the Global Director for Safety, Health and Wellbeing at the Royal Mail um, and my background has always been, I've always been a, a safety and health professional. I've got more into the, the health and, and wellbeing world after doing my doctorate. So I did my doctorate in coaching, wellbeing and organisational culture and it, it just helped me to unlock an area that was pretty underrepresented mental health and health in, 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 in well-being generally but at a time when it was starting to see a real um, increase in, in interest so I think I landed really lucky to be researching and writing about a subject area that was coming to prominence at a particular time in a, in a way that I could then apply it to my day job as well so I, I talk about that perfect you know, that, that, that perfect moment and that was it for me because it's meant I could use my, my research in, in practice. Was there a personal interest in it or was it just you was drawn towards it because no one was really talking about it at that time? Um, there was a personal, yeah, there was a personal interest in it and I probably didn't realise how much until, you know, it's a bit interesting you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And, it, it, and I'd got a pull towards it but I didn't realise how interested I was subconsciously if you like and what the background had been until I started to kind of um, lift the lid on it so I'm from South Yorkshire originally so my dad uh, my dad's steel worker my mum was a, a home help um, really pretty you know, one sister really nice comfortable upbringing not loads of money not loads of um, um, not a flashy lifestyle but you know very safe secure and loved upbringing but I know that there was some anxiety in the family. I know there's a little bit of mental health issues. I know that there was some kind of financial kind of challenges at times. My dad worked in the steelworks, so we mm. had strikes and short time and laying off and the like. Um, and I saw it all unfold while I was growing up, but I didn't realise what I was seeing until I was old enough to look back and see some of the issues. So as I went in to do my research, and actually thought, oh, yeah, I can see why that did that or why... She, my mum might have felt like that, or my dad might have felt like that, etc. And, and and so use the, the the research in a almost in a therapeutic way for myself, as well as using it at work. Mm. And I, I believe there's a huge lack of education around mental health. Um, like whenever I share my story, it was that I don't believe my dad understood what was going on. And, and even when I look at my childhood now, um, 
probably was quite anxious. Yeah. But back then I couldn't put a label to it because I wasn't educated on it. Yeah. So um, how important do you believe education is when it comes to mental health? Hugely important. And, and, and if I had, if you said you've got the magic wand, you can do whatever you want now. Uh, one of the things I would, I would really push for is early intervention mental, mental health education. And I mean really early on. So I'm, I'm a school governor as well. So I see some of the things playing out in, in very, very small primary school, mm. you know, nursery class, reception class children. And I think if you could help people to understand anxiety and you know, elements of depression and financial, uh, sorry, mental health, it would help them when they get older when they're looking at financial health physical health, spiritual health. So I think you can do a lot, we should be doing a lot more early on. Yeah, and with the next generation coming through, there's a huge kind of conception that they're snowflakes, that, you know, they're struggling with mental health where this generation wasn't. You know, what's your kind of, what's your kind of take on that? So I think the traditional culture of the stiff upper lip of, of, of Brits is there. And I think it's softened over time with awareness raising. I think the pendulum in certain areas, not all the areas and not all the time, has swung a little bit too far the other way at times, which is why you do get a little bit of the um, snowflake um, discussions. But I think it will normalise over time. I think it will come back to a stage where it is is talked about and, and developed in a much more um, measured way. I think... The, while I was talking to you there, one of the things that really came to my mind is a, there's a book that I read years ago, um, and it's by Susan Jeffers. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Great book, yeah. I, it is a brilliant book. And one thing that I remember reading it, and I can, I was actually sat in the bath, right? I, this is how, it's looking my head, I sat in the bath reading it, and one of the sentences talked about you being raised by your parents to be careful. They always, when, they, when you go out to play, you go mm. on your bike, they say, be careful, be careful. They don't say, take an informed risk, you know, kind of push yourself <laughs> a little bit. And actually, I think there's a little bit of, you know, needing to push yourself and challenge yourself and feel a little bit anxious and a little bit challenged and a little bit stretched to develop as a fuller person. That would mm. be my, my personal view. So I think we shouldn't... You know, we, we shouldn't take away from the fact that people feel anxious and depressed and, and the like, but neither should we wrap them up in cotton wool so that it becomes that they've not developed a coping mechanism or a strategy for managing things. Yeah, and, and I believe I believe in that massively as well. It's almost like challenging your comfort zones and trying to grow as a person. And the, the earlier that we can educate the next generation on that, mm. you know, the better. Mm. Um, how does that then translate into the work that you do in the workplace and what you've seen? I'm, I'm sure from... From your experience, you've seen massive changes over the last couple of years. Yeah. Is there any in particular that have really stood out to you? What kind of changes that companies have been making, especially the Royal Mail? Men's mental health. So when I did my, so I did my, my, my PhD, so it was coaching well-being and organisational culture, and I looked at the role that organisations and line managers play in mental health and, and promoting positive mental health. I specifically looked at it through the lens of, of men because my background was predominantly male organisation. So 15 years in construction, two years in the waste sector, and then moving to raw male, which is 88% male. So I wanted to understand why you know, people were, men, men in particular, were not disclosing, were not feeling they could open up or access um, the various channels that they've got for, the, for mental health support. And it was a traditional masculine, you know, real men don't cry, stiff upper lip. I've seen that soften 
over the last few years. And I think more people will now disclose um, if they've got a mental health condition, they'll talk about it more often than they would have done, or more openly than they would have done four or five years ago. But saying that, it's certainly not fixed. Mm. You know, and there's still cultures and subcultures. So I'm from South Yorkshire originally, and if I use that as an example, you've still got the steel workers, miners, you know, macho mindset. Again, I know it's generalising, but you've got pockets of it in the northeast. You've got pockets of it in Wales, Scotland. We see it. You know, I mm. see it both in in terms of the people I come in contact with personally and and professionally. And it's it's targeting those areas and then looking at other factors, other demographic factors, and income factors, and education factors, and thinking how they might play into it. Yeah. And and what what do you think we need to do to change that more? Do you, do you... Is it the kind of awareness? Is it men hearing other men and realising that they can talk? What, what do you see it as? All of that, yeah. So mm. men men hearing other men's stories. So when, when we first met, you told me about your you know your personal story. That is incredibly powerful because that was a real-life experience for you. So sharing that and the impact of that and how that's driven you to go and do other things like this I think is, is incredibly powerful. I also think um, giving, giving men space to talk about it um, and an opportunity to kind of share issues. Uh, and also remembering that you know, mental health is on a continuum. It's kind of, it, we're all up and down at various stages of our, of our life and even on, on a day-to-day basis. You know, we all get frustrated, depressed, anxious, annoyed, you know, happy, etc. It's, it's, we're on a spectrum, we're on a scale, and it's about kind of keeping that in perspective and, and creating your own strategies for managing that. Um, but, but trying to avoid things like men, again, in my research showed self-medicating. So rather than talking to your mates, having another pint... Well, I'm not saying don't drink. You know, I like a drink and a curry and a night out, like the, the, the best of them. But, you know, there are other, there's got to be other outlets that are more productive than, than closing yourself off, self-medicating, you know, smoking too much, drinking too much, turning to drugs, kind of thinking about what routes you've got. Mm-hmm. And, and, as, and as fellow men and, and friends, encouraging people to open up to us. Yeah, and I think again it comes back to we're all we're all human. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, yeah, you know, absolutely, everyone has mental health. Yeah, you, you've, you've touched on an early intervention and sort of proactive approaches as well. Um, what other strategies have you seen that's worked quite well in terms of early intervention and sort of proactive strategies? On the proactive, and this is an area that I think is is massively underdiscussed, right? And that is the whole person. So you, me, as our whole people. We are not just mental health. We are physical health, financial health, spiritual health, emotional health, the whole thing. So things like sleep, diet, exercise, hydration, um, the things that kind of give you, you know, that that, that are the chicken soup for the soul, that fill you up, that make you feel good about yourself, that enable you to be, you know, the best version of, of you. I think that is often parked up at the expense of the mental health discussion. Mm, I love so, that. Yeah, so I think there's much more to it than that. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way as well. And I suppose it's coming back to that there's no one-size-fits-all, but it's almost let's not separate mental health. Yeah. Let's combine it with, you know, what nutrition advice you're giving your staff and yeah. financial advice. So my, my model, which I use a lot, and it was born in the research I did from a doctor, is a, is a triangle in a circle. So on one dimension is mental health. The other dimension is physical health. The other dimension is a financial health. The circle that it's in is the context of 
where you are financially, relationship-wise, lifestyle-wise, etc. The context, because you know that that bubble that you're in, that circle that you're in, changes shape and size and mm-hmm. and, and density and complexity all the time. You know, you you changes you might have children you might have a relationship breakdown you might meet someone new you might have a bereavement you might get a new job all those very factors are all competing and complementing issues to make you a a different version of you Mm. and then do you believe that hr's companies with that being the approach almost feel overwhelmed because there's so much that you can do that they don't do anything at all if someone was sort of listening to this or watching this and felt like we want to do that but we don't know where to start what would you what would you kind of advise so i always say the nike the nike principle the nike principle just do it just do a little bit something i mean what however small or insignificant it might feel it is a step in the right direction so and the other the other strap line i use a lot of is don't wait for perfection if you wait for the day to launch the perfect mental health strategy or physical health strategy where you've got everybody lined up and it's a perfect sunny day and everybody you'll never get there Mm. so just do something and allow it to build up its own head of steam and actually your employees and the organization will get behind it and really respect you for it and really value it and they will some of the best ideas i've i've had with our with to, to implement within the organization have come from our frontline employees who've said i really like this i don't really like that could we do this could we stop doing that so listen to your customers and do a bit of something and 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 i would give that advice to hr people as well just you know, just do a little bit of something and and you'll be surprised by you know by how far it goes so in a way you implement you listen and then you learn and you implement and just carry on from, from that. Well, there's a, the, tra- the traditional Deming cycle of continuous improvement, which is plan, do, check, act. You can apply that to all sorts. Mm. You can equally apply here. So you can plan. What do you want to do? What, you know, what, what, what are you planning to, to, to address? What issues do you need to... You know, have you got an absence issue? Have you got an engagement issue? Have you got a reputation issue? Then you do something, and what is that? It might be a comms campaign. It might be getting a senior leader to stand up. The check-in aspect is how did it land? What did people think? And then learn from it in act and just keep going. It's a virtuous circle. Mm-hmm. That's not a complicated model for, for people to, to plan. And, and I've, I've used that a lot, and it's, it's, you know, it's, really, it's really served me well in the years I've been doing what I've been doing. Yeah. And in terms of, have you seen in your experience any sort of innovative solutions that have come around that have been very effective, or do you think it's just keeping it simple? So I'm a massive fan of keep it simple. I think it's... I think, that is one of the you know the, the best approaches you can have to not overcomplicate it. But I have seen some innovation as well. So things like um, mental health ambassadors, um, work, well-being ambassadors out there, kind of peer-to-peer coaches. There's a whole evidence base around the value of peer-to-peer coaching. So I think that's that's really innovative. I also think reverse mentoring, where and, and by that reverse mentoring, that is where younger people would give older people the experience of the that. things that they've seen um, and, and a great example of that is social media you know so how that's that works because um, and actually showing them how they can connect with you know other communities through social media and I think that's underutilized but I think that's really effective in terms of engaging with staff so obviously Royal Mail how many employees yeah I guess I don't know I don't want to be completely wrong. <laughs> 150,000. I was going to say 20,000. So, so, very, so very wrong. we take 20,000 temps on at Christmas. 
Wow. So we're now we're kind of now in uh, you know peak peak prep time and twenty thousand attempts at Christmas. So engaging with that amount of staff must be very very difficult. Massively. How is the only question? So. Uh, Again, it's the just do it. So we've got loads of different channels, but we never have a uniform one-size-all-fits-all approach. So we've done things like letters to home. We do newsletters. Um, we have TV. We've got our own TV channel, RMTV, Royal Mail TV, which will pipe and send messages out down the channels to that. Uh, we also have a big frontline engagement program where middle and senior managers will go out and talk to their employees at the front line. Um, but then other things, I mean, really simple things like... Um, Messages in pay slips. Everybody mm. loves to look at the pay slip. If you want to get a punchy message out, put it in the pay slip. It'd be, be my, my my advice because people, you know, it's it's a one piece of collateral that everybody will mm. have a look at. So be a bit more innovative with that. And then um, well-being ambassadors give people scripts that they can use to, you know, to kind of use as a basis to build on. So loads of different channels. And then we use social media. So we've got. Um, our WhatsApp channel, we've got Twitter, we've got LinkedIn, we've got Facebook. So we use the full range. So I think there's a really important lesson there because a lot of, as far from my experience, a lot of HR struggle with communication. So they might have mental health first aid, they have like 10 of them, and then it's the communication that lets that then down. Like how do we communicate that across? So I think the advice there is to just try as many communication channels, don't just use one, use as many as you possibly can. Yeah, and also think about when you've got a diverse organisation like Royal Mail where you've got difference in age, gender, um, social background, cultures, you you might need to land it in a particular way. You might need to use people. So there are certain cultures where hierarchy and age is massively, massively respected. So you might want to kind of get a key message out to a particular um, elder, if you like, for want of a better expression, to help you convey that message. But also, some of this, again, I think back to my time in construction, if I wanted to get a message out on a particular subject, I got it to the people running the canteen. They would be the person that would, you know, that helped me kind of get it out. And then other things, kind of um, put traditional notice boards, but things like messages on the back of toilet doors, above kind of men's urinals, in the mirrors, in in, uh, uh, in changing rooms. Put the message in the face as well as to get a push and a pull. Mm, there's like different channels. In terms of your own mental health, like you know, you're you're trying to help other people it's like a yeah. big sort of mission for you how do you manage your own mental health inside and outside of work so i know for a fact sleep is my my biggie so if i don't get enough sleep um it, it, i get my you know, my, my anxiety levels go up my perspective is gets a bit skewed um same with food so there's, there's some non-negotiables for me and that is sleep um, d- um diet so i have to eat you know i'm 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 like a baby at times, I have to eat every two hours. But I know that that's my thing that keeps me keeps me going. So um, sleep, um, food, and then exercise. So, you know, there's some... I will do the gym, you know, four or five times a week. Um, I have to factor it in. It might be really early, it might be late, weekends, etc. But it's still my time and it enables me to kind of decompress and, and recharge my, my batteries. And also the fact is permission, for permission given to myself sometimes I'm going to be off my game sometimes I'm not going to be doing you know the best version of me that I want to be or performing well so what there's always tomorrow mm. and you spoke a little bit about spiritual health is, is, is that something that you've sort of is that something that benefits you as well so, so that's quite a, an emotive subject of spiritual health and mm. I mentioned it a couple of times and people have been like well I'm an atheist or I don't want to go to church and, and to me it's spiritual and emotional health are whatever it means to you 
So I would say, you know, if, it, if you want to be part of a church or part of an organised religion or you want to do something in that space and it gives you comfort, then then great, you know, that's good for you. If you don't, then equally great, it's good for you. But think about, you know, how you... Um, some people might just want to go for a walk in the woods. Some people might want to go for um, do mindfulness. Some people might want to do yoga. Some people might go to church every mm. Sunday. Great. If that's what works for you, then that that works for what that works for you. And I was interviewed probably about three or four months ago now, and it, and they were asking me a similar question to that, and it was actually to do with mental health and um, um, men's isolation. And I was saying, um, one of the things, saying, well, well, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, if you feel that you're particularly isolated, put yourself where you can reconnect with things, like you know, go, go for a walk. You know, if you've got a dog, take a dog for a walk, or go for a walk in the woods, or just go and just look at things and use it to process your thoughts. And there's quite a lot of pushback on Twitter saying, you know, oh, great, you know, go for a walk in the woods and you, your life's fixed. And I certainly wasn't saying that. Mm. What I was saying was, find something that connects with you spiritually. It might be, your, it might be a PlayStation. It might be a film, it might be cinema, but there's no right or wrong to it. I was just saying one of the options is get back to nature. There's research that shows that connecting with with nature is is incredibly good for your for your mental health. But if that's not your thing, don't do it. It's not my place to tell anybody what to do. I was just kind of sharing that as as an option that people might might like to consider. Yeah, and uh, spirituality was something that helped me massively. And you know, I wasn't a religious person, but yeah. it was understanding books like you know Dr. Wayne Dyer and you know Neil Donald Walsh. It was all yeah. spirituality yeah. for me has a very definition, different definition than yeah. than other people see it. So, yeah. and for me as well, it seems like these are all pieces of the puzzle. Like you said, um, you know, sleep, exercise, nutrition, going yeah. for a walk. Yeah. There's no one thing is going to make everything better. It's yeah. like all these small pieces of the puzzle. So, so my my dad isn't a conventional um, churchgoer. You wouldn't you wouldn't you know he's, he's a he's a rough gruff. Yorkshire steelworker, ex-squaddy. I mean, everything that would conjure up in the head is that. He's lovely, he's the best dad I could ever ask for in that sense. But I really saw a different side of him when we lost my mum, because we lost my mum quite suddenly. Mm. The comfort my dad got from the Catholic Church, not being a Catholic, my mum was, but my dad wasn't, but the fact the priest came to see him, we had a, a really lovely funeral service, if that's the right expression, mm. uh, and, and a community that reached out to him was was incredibly comforting to him um, and, and he's not a spiritual church goer as it were but it, it worked for him and, and you, you wouldn't I wouldn't have associated those two things prior to that I wouldn't have thought my dad will be in church and be having the priest come to see him at home and talk to him and he'll take away from that so it's do you think that's lesson. community like that helped him I think I think there was I think there was a big part of community I also think there was a part of Having lost my mum and it being very sudden and really difficult, um, the fact that there were some people there that were prepared to come and spend invest time and didn't 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 know him, mm. but still invest time and be bothered enough, I think was was almost comforting and reassuring from a from a the world the world which feels a terrible place at the minute mm. is not that bad in its entirety because there are people like this that are prepared to come and you know care about me. So it almost gave him like hope in a way yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There's so much to unpack. There's so much that I'd love to ask you. Um, but I kind of want to wrap up with with two questions. Um, there's lots that you've you've already shared, which is amazing. But the first question is if if someone listening to this, a HR professional, senior management, even just an employee, wants to start 
improving mental health at work, what would you tell them to do? The first thing I would say is understand your own because you've got to really be resilient with a small R to kind of help your, yourself. You can't, you know, you need to understand, you need to, I think you need to take, the phrase I use again, I know it sounds a bit corny, but is go slow to go fast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to take a step back and think about your own mental health and what it means to you because people will ask you. If you go forward then as an ambassador, people expect you to kind of share your story with them. So there's a bit of that. And then the other thing is to read around it. And to read, you know, there's lots of material out there from, from lots of great charities and organisations. But then remember, your job is not to fix. That Your job is not to be the clinician, to put the white coat on, to fix people, to be prescribing drugs or giving therapy. Your job's to you know, listen and, and, and signpost and be a, be a responsible leader. Mm, I love that. And then the last question is, if someone was watching this and they're struggling with their mental health right now, you know, what advice would you give to them? First thing is, you're not on your own. There, there, are, you know, there are lots of people who are struggling with their, their mental health and that might feel like it's, it's an odd thing to say because you know, misery loves company, but I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you're not on your own and there are people out there that will recognise this and that, and that have worked their way through it. And, and, if, and if you need help and advice, then do not be embarrassed or ashamed of it. And the, again, the example I give is, if you're an insulin-dependent diabetic, you would just take your insulin. If you, you, know, if you broke your, your, your leg and you had a cast on your leg, people would say, what happened? And you'd tell them. Just be, be prepared to kind of seek help and advice and talk about it. And then, you know, ideally use that experience to then encourage other people to do the same. It's not, a, it, it, it's not a, a weakness or a failure and it can feel difficult and isolating and, and, and detached, but there's lots of organisations and people out there that will help you and, and you know, don't give up hope and, and don't, you know, don't um, not seek advice. I love that. We all have mental health at the end of the day, don't we? Absolutely, we all, yeah. We all should be able to deal with it. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate your yeah, time really so good. much. Really, really good. Thank and you. I'll tell you what, these sessions, things like this, whether it be on a podcast or just talking to people, are brilliant. I mean, personally, for me, the amount of things that I unlock, either reinforce or unlock myself, a um, number of things there I'd, I'd, I'd skim thought about in the past, but the depth of some of those mm. things myself I'd never even thought about. So you kind of you, you, you drag them up from your experience as part of the conversation. So it was brilliant. Thank you. Amazing. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Sean. Thank you again for, for taking you. the time out and coming on. Please let us know what you feel in the comments below. And if you are listening to this on the podcast, please leave a rating and a review.